We are the ink to the page, Japan land the punch. On a mana peel, boom pal, we got the stuff. We know they got story, been new, they got hard complex narratives and black carries. Tell me where they see us. Where I see us, where, where I see us, they wanna be us. But tell me where they read us, not they wanna be us. At the damn cage, like a nigga from Georgia, insane and out the brain and lacking in origin. At flashbacks and shots to the system, downloading new issues and sitting for a listen. Where I see us, where I see us, they wanna be us. But tell me where they read us, now they wanna be us. They wanna be us. They, they, they wanna be us. Where I see us. Where I see us. Where I see us. Where all the black people at? Where I see us. Where I see us. Welcome back to another episode of Where I See Me, the podcast where we look at comics and media with lots of questions in mind, mainly where the hell are all the black and brown people? I'm Jamie. And I am Kang the Conqueror, uh, the black man from the 31st century, here (laughs) to give Paul Rudd the works. Um... That's a lie. I'm Marcellus Cooper. <laughs> Sorry. I I started with a lie. I feel so... I don't know if I feel good about that. Well, I mean, we're already recording, so you just got to lean into it. Okay. You, I'm unless, leaning. <laughs> unless we're not starting over. We're not doing No, no, it. we can't. We can't. I don't... Um, I don't consent to time travel. This is for the record. This is for the this is for the the wisdom season four listeners to to sit to sit with us through. Um, Jamie, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing okay. I am, you know, doing making some work, teaching, driving a lot, doing all that juggle of of school of work art practice it's trying to sleep i'm also trying to read more too i'm reading Mm. beloved right now Mm. and the book feels kind of as creepy as the movie and i'm kind of surprised by that but i but i knew it was a ghost story because i saw the movie first Mm. um and i remember when i was very little my cousin saw beloved and she just explained the whole movie to me because i was too scared to watch it (laughs) but like this is a a 10-year-old explaining what they saw. <laughs> so, you know, I always for years had like <laughs> didn't know, you know, what to think of think of it until I actually watched the movie for myself as an adult and now I'm finally reading the book. So, I'm doing okay, trying to read and juggle work and art practice. How about you? How are you doing? You're not King the Conqueror, but I'm not. But you know what? I I feel like um, I, I sure do feel like the past month and a half has been nothing but me uh, sort of absorbing new movies coming out, trying to prep myself for 2023, because there's a lot of things I feel like that are coming out in um, February and March. Um, I've, I've been trying, I think keep consistent with my writing for the most part Hmm. and all the movies are distracting me to a certain (laughs) certain degree um but it's been nice it's cold still i i had uh i had this past wednesday come home uh to my ac 
not working. Um, and call got the repair guy out there. I was like, hello, sir. Need to watch some movies. Um, would like to be heated while doing so. Uh, and guess what happened in the middle of getting that fixed? It broke again? My power went out. Uh, not just mine specifically, just like a stretch of houses went out. So he had to just assemble it. And he said, well, if it turns on, uh, let, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not if so. it turns on, let me know. <laughs> and it's doing something. So we it's, it's a little chilly out here, but uh, working through it been been trying been blanket and movie marathons has been the 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 post work routine uh mm. with that in mind gosh i hate that for you that's terrible i you know what it's part of my um my super villain origin is the 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 pennsylvania cold i'm gonna, I'm gonna be like yeah. mr freeze a little little like the arnold schwarzenegger one too like a, a really elaborate um, sparkly costume. You know that that is probably one of my favorite Batman movies because it's really just like it's just a fun movie. It's very camp. Mm-hmm. It, it's it just lets itself relish in being a little cheese and a little dramatic. And Tim Burton knew how to do it. That's the one Tim Burton I'll I'll, I'll give. <sighs> We, well, we're not we're not gonna talk about him today because we already had a whole episode where we kind of dragged that man, which he deserved it. Mm. Um, <laughs> but what we are gonna talk about today is you were we were interested in villains, and particularly villains who are portrayed who are being portrayed by black actors mm-hmm. and what is it about villains or the anti-hero which is an anti-hero the same thing as a villain i think there's this fine line that a lot of them ride where they're doing things that feel morally gray or potentially they're wrong and mm-hmm. so much of their character is wrapped up in oh, it's a wrong thing for maybe the right reason Mm. We we tend to almost root for them more so than the uh, the quote unquote heroes who kind of uphold the status quo of whatever community our anti hero has to infiltrate or be a part of. But no, there's there we have some we have some interest in uh, villains on our docket. Mm. Um, I guess where do we start? Because we we uh, we had talked about. You know, Killmonger, mm-hmm. one of one of the Black Panthers' greatest friends, long long time comrade. Uh, we had mentioned, you know, Candyman. I think on on this sort of discussion we we had, which you know, him that that's going to be an interesting one. I got mm-hmm. thoughts, um, but then who else did we mention? Uh, we had talked about Gang oh, the Conqueror. Um, Mr. Jonathan Majors himself in his creed ready body. Um, <laughs> he's got too many. He got too many muscles added since uh, Lovecraft Country because 
and that and that one it was like okay yeah, he's like an army man and now um i feel like there's something i'm not eating or like not doing because i'm pretty sure jonathan majors is only like in his mid 30s uh I only got so long to get there. And he's setting the bar really high. <laughs> well, he's supposed to be in some kind of like bodybuilding movie too. So I think that's also oh why he God. looks the way he does right now. Why he's so big. Um, he's he's in a bodybuilding movie. I don't know the name of it though, but I've seen the pictures because they're all over Twitter. Um, and then the February cover of Ebony is like gorgeous with him on it. Um, really is a villain. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember we, we we were watching Lovecraft Country? Wow, did that even come out of my mouth right? But you know what it, you know y'all know what I said. We were That's watching right. it at Eric's house once, and mm. I I distinctly remember he came on the screen, and y'all were all like, "Wow!" It was like a it was like you and Eric and Jacob, and it was like a collective like. Wow. Like, why even try anymore? Yeah. <laughs> He's ruining it. It's like when you see, oh when you see, God. it's, I feel like there's a certain degree of, of like, you took all the muscles for yourself. So. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't even know that one existed. So I'm, I might as well go back to uh, pizza real quick. Um, oh my gosh no nah, I, I i love all the actors that are involved i think with each of these characters that brings them to life and, and they don't all have i think the same kind of creative history mm-hmm. um the way they formed uh i think it could be interesting to start maybe with um killmonger just because mm-hmm. i feel like that's one character who is sort of history as far as uh as the public eye is concerned i don't know if anyone could think of killmonger without thinking of michael b jordan yeah because that's i was gonna ask you in the comic books is killmonger played is killmonger drawn as a black character well sort of i feel like that that character right it's so tied to um the nature of disrupting wakanda Mm -hmm. uh the way they have it structured, it's not because there is this storyline of sort of usurping uh, uh, our our original sort of our, our prince, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, our our current king. There is, I feel. I don't even know if he shows up as often as he could. Like, I don't think he's really that much of a big deal. Oh. That's the thing, because like when when I fought back to have I even come across Killmonger in the comics that I've seen from Black Panther, I had to go digging pretty far, and I think you know that could also be to my I think uh, my limited um, scope within like all of Marvel, because <laughs> Black Panther's been around for so long that he's gone from you know being married to Storm to being uh, mm-hmm. more reflective of the MCU, um, being this figure that's meant to kind of reflect whatever version they, they've depicted as, you know, this is 
the 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 isolationist country mm-hmm. that serves as our sort of uh look at blackness within superheroes that are mm-hmm. you know abroad um but killmonger i feel like this incarnation i don't feel like the sort of oakland raised i was left behind is something that comes across in the comics Mm. this feels like a movie created character to whatever degree i don't know you were gonna say no which i mean you know ryan coogler um is from oakland and so of course you know he's thinking about the history of his own environment and what that could you know placing that character in there what that could what that could entail for how he proceeds forward um but what were you what were you going to say i was thinking i and i pulled it up just so i could think about the the direct sort of comparison that they they have with the comics <laughs> so killmonger's costume is it's this long like pointed bird beak of a mask with like what? a lion's mane behind it and he's got like this beaded necklace with skulls on it where he comes from in terms of being like an assassin it feels like they just they updated this character because i couldn't think of who he really was um and the idea that he was left behind in the u.s was this change i think it was more so in the comics he's just isolated from wakanda he is mm. outside of wakanda but he is a wakandan yeah so the the, the okay. same thing kind of comes through like he should be his birthright is to be a wakandan like his father was killed all these other things that we see like the the main struggle but it wasn't like he was americanized mm. That whole like African versus African American thing jumps mm-hmm. out in the movie. <laughs> yes, yes, and, and uh, uh. <laughs> so many thoughts. <laughs> well, I mean, because you know, and I think we might have talked about it a little bit too on here, particularly when we looked at Wakanda versus Drexia, mm-hmm. um, in the sense that um, you have this i don't know you have like this isolationist country as we as we have stated if you do not know wakanda was an isolationist country you have not been paying attention you've just been looking at the pretty pictures um but you know he's he's doing this thing which i feel like on the surface right it looks like diaspora wars um but there's something more really happening there in the sense of how Again, I'm going to bring up Wakanda's bad politics, like, and how they are us first. We will kill our own to protect our secret. You know, all of that kind of stuff comes, you know, is really what's informing their decisions to keep Killmonger, like, out of um, Wakanda within the cinematic universe. I forgot one detail which Ooh, i think might change drastically Uh-oh. the uh granted i feel like like w- what you were saying speaking to the idea of, this, of sort of like the politics that form and how they differ mm-hmm. uh like it does transition from the comics to the movies and they're trying to i guess i don't know if pulling away from the isolationist 
sort of approach is, is what a lot of the Wakanda movies end up being about, but because it feels like there's that tension, right, about mm-hmm. sort of the global politics. Um, in the comics, it's not that his parent his parents are killed by um, the king. His parents are killed by raiders and the white man from that first movie, Julius uh, Claw, the guy, mm-hmm. uh, he takes him and raises him in overseas and trains him to be an assassin. He wants someone who could get into Wakanda. Uh, and so, so he's, he's just kind, a pawn. He's a pawn. And he, you know, he, he goes to school later on. Like he, I think he's educated at some point in Harlem. He kind of reconnects with his, uh, ancestry to whatever degree but he's already so kind of radicalized already by captors to a certain degree that it's not just that he was alone it's that he was probably never you know i think there was no mission to get him back Mm -hmm. on top of whatever anger was fueled so he is taken more so than he is lost (sighs) that's sad that complicates it right because it is sad it's almost worse. <laughs> I feel like that is worse because he's he's being used as a pawn. When you were describing his costuming, though, it reminded me of some of the elements from like Papa Midnight mm. uh, with like the skulls and things and like all that tying back to just like how, um, you know, white America saw black people or particularly African people um, and you know, how that all gets kind of tied in together, them not really understanding any form of pre-colonial spirituality from mm-hmm. these people's groups. Um, Cause I'm like, why, why would he have a bird beak? And then a skull, like it's a, it's, a, I looked up the picture too. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, and it's not, I mean, this is, it's, it's doing a lot. It's doing a lot. Um, there's some, of course that, it makes it makes him look like a stereotypical what they perceive. You know, he's got a skull belt, skulls on his mm-hmm. his little wrists, things. Um, I think Ryan Coogler's decision to have him have the scarification where it's like the number of kills, like that. So he kind of has like the crocodile skin. Mm-hmm. I think was an interesting was a better stylistic choice. It actually is rooted in something that is. Um, more true <laughs> to yeah. to to you know to to a to in african cultural perspective even though we know like wakanda's not a real african country um but i'm curious like do when you were watching the film did you find yourself rooting for eric killmonger were you um i don't know did were you just kind of like at, did you feel like oh he's in the wrong i mean how did you <laughs> I, I, he, he just, I think it's hard because he, his whole design as a character and the way that he is played and, and it comes off, I think, you know, coming into Wakanda, you know, this very big, big man on campus uh, vibe, I'm going to change everything, his aggression. It certainly turned me off of rooting from him for him because mm-hmm. I think they're in in the the fires that you know you want to set to break down a system of the world right he also takes away so much from what is you know in a lot of ways a thriving nation Mm -hmm. 
it's hard because I feel like he was necessary, but I don't know if beyond understanding where he's coming from, uh, he's the type of anti-hero that I would want to believe in. I think it certainly is interesting to see the discourse that happened around him whenever the movie came out. People were mm-hmm. like, Killmonger was right. Yes, uh, a lot of people felt like he, he had valid points. Um, and even the second movie with he shows up in the ancestral plane, you know, goodness. he was just like, you need to be more like me. You need to be and you you relate to me and you know, you do because, you, you know, why else would you be seeing me? She was expecting to see maybe her mom or a dad or a brother. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, we know we can't we wasn't going to get Chadwick, of, of course, but mm-hmm. um Still, she's in the movie. She's expecting that, and here he is, letting her know, tapping into that rage, tapping into that those kinds of feelings of, um, I don't know, like being left behind. Because I definitely think that Shuri felt like she was left behind in that movie. Everyone's gone. You know what I I realized, or I feel like my interpretation changed after we we had gotten to discuss the the film after we saw it. Mm. I think in the same vein that she does have that anger and, and trauma as she's holding on to. And, and, you know, when she sees him, that definitely leads us to see why he would be the person she, that would mm-hmm. uh, be her contact to the ancestors. I feel like him being there and the way he speaks to, uh, speaks to her, I almost feel like that's meant for us. Mm. I feel like, you know, that idea that you relate to me. You are angry. You should be more like me, even if you can't fully commit. There are things that I did that were good. You know, it does. That section of the movie definitely does feel like a call to action. I can I can see that for sure, that they're calling us as the viewer to do something. Mm-hmm. Now, what that something is, of course, I think is related to our, our climate and how... Um, at least I perceive it that way because other people may perceive it some other kind of way because mm. people came away with that movie from that movie with all kinds of weird takes. And <laughs> I was like, this is fascinating. <laughs> Absolutely. Like this is, this is fascinating, but it does. It definitely does feel like a call to action in, in, in that particular section. I, I think ultimately him as an anti-hero because it's so, steeped in this figuring out what is blackness and what is blackness also in not just the the bubble of our community but mm-hmm. when it's like and i always hate when people say this like look at us we can't be fighting in front of them it's us against them like i think right <laughs> like i feel like the killmongers of the of the you know of the storytelling world they're always characters that are so full of anger and even if there is infighting then you know they try to make this transition into leaders and i don't know if killmonger was really a leader so much as he was a martyr i also think that he was a little bit of a tyrant too yeah yeah like a little bit of like because and you know god okay so it kind of reminds me of how you know within the struggle for black liberation you have people who are 
very who are doing the fight right Mm -hmm. but then as soon as they get a little bit of power and influence that power and influence corrupts them Mm -hmm. and you know they now begin to oppress their own people or try Mm -hmm. to close doors for people because now they because really all they wanted all along was to rise up for themselves and not to bring Mm -hmm. everybody up with them but they feel like maybe the quickest way to do that is to take this kind of um like collective community effort and push forward um and so i i get because he you know he burns all the heart-shaped herb which i think that's definitely like he's not thinking about the future he's like i'm going to be like i'm going to be (laughs) it's me 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 is what i want it's what i'm entitled to um so you know i yeah (laughs) what a baby too (laughs) like you couldn't have hit it you couldn't have made someone put it put it somewhere he had to burn it and then you know and this is the other thing too like wakanda i was like y'all didn't have no like extra stored away somewhere but why would they because nobody ever comes in there with foolishness like that who would think to burn it? Who would even? What is sacred? Right, it's sacred. Like, who would do that? That child y'all left out there. That's who. That's who. That child y'all left out there in Oakland, trying to with his dead daddy. That's who you let. That's who was like, forget your sacred. I'm gonna burn it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna burn it. I'm gonna take what I need and then destroy it, so y'all can't have it. It is interesting to see a black character be on screen and be, I feel like since he's trying to fit that anti-hero role and mm-hmm. he has all these, you know, he has his ideology and way, the way he thinks and it's so much a part, it's so at the front of how he is on screen that we get to see him be selfish and <laughs> and, and just constantly doing rash things like i think he there's a couple there's a moment um where he has a woman with him earlier in that first uh Uh film and he just shoots her like he doesn't care she's no she's an obstacle in the mission and he just drops her immediately and i remember watching that and i had to stifle a little bit of a giggle because that's crazy like he I think has this not like a love of violence, but he just sees it as like, oh no, that's just how you get things done. Yeah, um, and it's it's removed from. It's not like he's pretending to be just mm-hmm. in his violence, but he's so committed to his ideals. Because mm. there's characters out there, you know, not to bring. I know we're focused on black villains right now. Uh, but it makes me think of when people talk up when all, uh, shout out to all the cops who think the Punisher would like them. Um, I feel like <laughs> I feel like characters like that who they're like, I am the law, I'm justice. Um, their violence is meant to be just and mm. swift. And I feel like. Killmonger just does things because it just serves him to do so. He burns things. He shoots people. Um, he has his, like, even again, the like you said, the, the scarring on his chest, the notches. There is mm-hmm. pride in the kill, even if it is, you know, 
yeah, this one's a baby. This one was a dog. It was like, for all we know, it could be so immoral how he got there. Yeah. But what's ahead of him is his goal. And that's all that matters to him. It's, it's such an ego-driven character. And I think it's, you know, a lot of it is to do with the unprocessed trauma of finding his father dead as a child. Mm. You know, I think he he feels not I think he feels I think, you know, I think a character like that, um, you definitely know that they have they have not processed the trauma of 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 their parents death and them their parent dying so tragically. Mm-hmm. And then knowing that your like your uncle is the one that did it. Right. Like, I think that all of that puts a chip on your shoulder and you walk through life in in a way in which you don't have any regard for life or other people's lives because people you loved were taken away. So you're like, well, what is it? You know, that's just, that's just how it is. Right. I think, cause he definitely seems like a, this, that's just how it is. Y'all just have to Mm -hmm. deal with it kind of person, but he really hasn't dealt with his own, his own trauma from being left behind from finding his father dead. Um, it's I mean it's he's a he's a I think he's a tragic character. Um I think about when I went to that one screening for Drexia and I I've mentioned this before how one of the people on the panel was like him and uh Tashala should have just went to brunch together and I'm just like that can't happen. And my <laughs> I was like are you there's there's no way that would happen cuz he's he's out he's literally out for blood. You know, mm-hmm. like he's not here to negotiate he just like i want what's owed to me because somehow maybe taking what wakanda has will fill the hole in my heart for you know my father being dead i don't know you know it's that's 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 my screen therapist cinema therapist (laughs) cinema therapist (laughs) uh take on on killmonger but we should we should move to Candyman because I I I think the the trajectory of that character has been interesting because in the original movie he terrorizes Cabrini Green. We really don't get any other context other than that he was a formerly enslaved person, a formerly enslaved man who fell in love with a white woman mm-hmm. and was brutally lynched murdered um for it in which you know now he's like he has a hook for a hand and he's covered in honey and bees and all that kind of stuff um but the latest uh i think DaCosta's version of Candyman, i think recontextualizes it in a way where he becomes an anti-hero mm-hmm. which i, I, I think- would agree which I think is really an interesting way to kind of clean that story up. Um, but what did you think of the original, the original Candyman as as a villain? I love the original Candyman as a oh villain. I, I think he is he is much like he he's like a natural disaster. You people, ju- it's like seeing a rabid animal like be let loose. He kills indiscriminately, and I think to the to much to the detriment of the community. Yes, uh, that he should sort of connect with, but he he is not really like a person anymore in that first mm-hmm. movie. Um, but at the same time, I think it's it's interesting because I I feel like the violence that he commits 
in the beginning, it feels like it's almost this sort of sensationalized terror that keeps people like the cops and keeps other people out of uh, that community. It's it's like a necessary violence that they, you know, if, and if someone is shot or killed or there's a new, you know, there's a new terror in that community, they can just claim Candyman is or did it. Mm-hmm. And I think that doesn't help them but building that sort of mythos gives them at least a comfort to decide like, oh, it was the candy man. Okay. I don't know if we could have done anything. And then seeing, I think sort of, uh, I'm blanking on her name, but seeing this original sort of quote unquote protagonist in the mm-hmm. first movie, this white academic come in and try and research everything she could into this black trauma and this mm-hmm. myth, this mythology it's like oh you poke the beehive you get mm-hmm. you get bees like you, right. <laughs> i don't know what's gonna happen when you bring up all this trauma and then you're unprepared to deal with the repercussions of it i think it's a good example of what pain in a black community can do but mm-hmm. the, the sequel is I, I agree i think it's a much more interesting depiction because that pain is then personified in such a specific way it's meant to truly protect the community not just be a a weird coping mechanism right Um, i i know some people didn't like the shift away from the the more slasher intent really people didn't like some people didn't like that well the first candy man is so gory and the sequels are not it was scary i couldn't they're not that the intensity right it's very it's as traumatic as the stories make it sound. There's no, I feel like had, if Candyman wasn't a black character, he would have been um, just as popular as like Freddy Krueger and Jason, mm-hmm. you know, but all we're left with, I think is just the way he is brought out. The idea of the, the, the mirror and the portraits, those methods and like his, his hook for a hand, um, even though he himself isn't like brought up, I think as much those elements are brought in all the times, uh, like bees and bugs Mm -hmm. and sort of that kind of ghostly, uh, he's real, but he's not, and he can see you and you can't see him. The, the hypnosis of his presence. You Um, know, I, I think of Candyman as a malevolent ancestor, Um, And it makes me think a lot about how when people talk, say that hurricanes are spirits. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you've probably, people who are listening, you've probably seen a meme um, floating around the internet that has like the ocean in the form of a woman and is walking onto shore. Um, And it's trying to, and it's a very, I think it's made by, it had to be made by someone who's like a hotep because it was like, Mm -hmm. hurry, Kane, her e r h e r cane her cane, she came you know like <clears throat> doing something <laughs> like that um where but it was it's saying you know that this is a benevolent or am a malevolent spirit um that is she only attacks the gulf coast which are ports where there were slave ships and things like that, or there was slavery. Um, and I've always had trouble with that since I think it's an interesting way to approach 
hurricanes, but in the same breath, it implies that our ancestors don't know that we live there in those places because a lot of majority of the people who are mostly devastated by hurricanes are black people living mm-hmm. in the south and so it it it, it begs to and in, bring into this into the fold that not every ancestor is on our side or like they're still angry about the thing that happened to them and it's just like anybody can get it. We just, we're just out here catching strays. And to me, that is what the energy Candyman is giving off is that, you know, still angry about the thing that happened to him. I, it happened and I'm tied to this particular part of the country because it happened to me here Mm -hmm. and whoever's just in the vicinity, y'all just going to catch some strays. Like that's just what it is. That's what the first one to me feels like. Whereas the second one, you know, they set that up where it's like, this is a figure that has, you know, come throughout uh, time that we need a new sacrifice. And uh, Yaya's character becomes that sacrifice, which I remember, I don't, did we ever review Candyman on this podcast? I think we did, right? I'm fairly certain we did. At least the the, uh, the Nita Costa. Um, the, yeah. Because uh, I'm thinking about like his hand. I was just like, gee, my God, why don't oh. you go to a doctor or a free clinic? Something. I know he's an artist. He ain't got no health insurance, but like a free clinic, the county hospital, something. something. They got to treat you. A minute you. clinic? A minute. <laughs> I think you still got to pay a minute clinic. I don't know. Do you? Damn. For a but minute? It's not a minute. It's not even a minute. <laughs> No, you're right though. There is there is something interesting in, in him being that new sort of sacrifice. It's mm-hmm. it feels like this reflection of, you know, every generation there has to be something to protect this community. There has to be this this uh this descent into sort of a, a gross madness. Um but as he starts that, ooh, it 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 takes this cultish turn. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of love um, uh, Coleman our, Domingo. Our, yes, he's he. Oh my gosh, his performances the past two or three years have been nothing short of either I think the warmest, uh, most loving things and the most unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> he just goes from like, yeah, ah, I, I know some stories. I run a local laundromat too everybody needs to die <laughs> no, he, he's, he's I, if they had started singing show tunes in the last 10 minutes of the movie i would have felt like it was a natural progression <laughs> not show tunes i but there is something you're right i think in that kind of uh that grossness that folk that folklore that they build that each you know it's not just that original lynching it's mm-hmm. um all these other figures that we aren't privy to in that in that lineage it's Candyman is this it feels like a, a uh it's not just a person it's a job mm, mm-hmm. it's and a mantle even... it's a mantle for them to for someone to take up it's a it's a leadership position <sighs> goodness I don't want Which, that job. How do you even put that on LinkedIn? I mean, if you're if you have been possessed by the spirit 
of the original okay i don't think you need to worry about linkedin (laughs) you just floating around with your hook and your bees and doing whatever you know spirits be doing i I, (laughs) he for sure has health insurance now though because that has to have been i would i would (laughs) i would hope so i would hope so my goodness oh my gosh i (laughs) i think out of out of Candyman and eric killmonger I think that, I don't know who is, I feel like it's hard because we don't really get a sense of Candyman's politics. I mean, but we do because, right, he's killing his own people. Um, I would disagree, at least with the Nia DaCosta rendition. Okay. He kills a lot of... um, (laughs) And you could, you might have a better word for this. He kills a lot of yuppies uh-huh. in the newest movie. I feel like the new Candyman is very anti-gentrification. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if, because I feel like there's also this sort of liberal sensibility that he sneezes at with some of the characters that fall to his, his victim. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these people who sort of, they don't really take his lore seriously. They don't take the sense of, oh, this is black communal storytelling. They don't take that seriously. They don't really mm-hmm. look at uh, what it is to respect the trauma. Um, and everyone else who's caught up in the spectacle of, of the dying and the deaths, they either fall victim to him or they never fully learn the truth. So the one thing they want, the truth, or like the, the I think the, the scariest things that we see, it just, it gets, I think it, it separates the new Candyman from the old one. The old one, no one who learns the truth is really shown to us. There's just people mm-hmm. who think this woman's crazy and then they're, they're dead, they're dying. But the new one, we see him. <clears throat> We see him in reflections. Like he, mm-hmm. you could picture of him, but I feel like the uh, the moment in, in the Nia DaCosta version where that um, gallery owner is, <laughs> I feel like I don't know. I think that that first sort of initial death, it's like his manifesto. He's like, ah, listen, anywhere, if mm-hmm. you <laughs> if you doubt that I'm about it, I'll anywhere, be there. I'll be because <laughs> all, all of these people are they're somewhat connected to um uh to, to yaya's character right but they're also the people that he he sort of like what do you know about I, why do i have to make my blackness in this in this work mm-hmm. um granted i mean his work in general we, we've already talked about it it wasn't very Oh, I would love. Okay, but you know what? I did see one. I was like, I would love a movie about artists, contemporary artists, where the work was like where it was at least accurate, mm-hmm. or um, the work was actually good. Because mm-hmm. um, she's got to have it. The work was like it was all over the place. Like mm-hmm. the way that she, the way that she approached her practice as an artist. I'm like. This felt like it felt very like tertiary, not even secondary, like tertiary um, with 
<laughs> with Candyman, his work, I'm just like, it's so literal. Yeah. It was so literal. It's like a black man with a noose around his neck. Like, baby. Please. I Speaking of noose, I have a student who made this little sculpture of this scary-ass tree. Ooh. And it has a noose hanging on the tree. Ooh. And she was telling me in class yesterday how nobody in her class wanted to talk about that work. This is a black student. Mm-hmm. Um Nobody like it made them uncomfortable. And I was like, art, I mean, art should sometimes make people uncomfortable. Like it's not, you know, um, but the way that she rendered it, I think that hers actually hers works because I mm-hmm. passed by that little tree and I'm like, that's some spooky. Like it, the way, you know, I'll take a picture of it and send it to you next time I pass by it. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know. There are occasions where that kind of stuff actually using those um, symbols of trauma work in way, and I think they work better when they're like quiet because they're very ominous. It becomes very ominous and foreboding. Whereas with his paintings, it was very, it was just too, it was like, I don't know. There was something about it. It was just like, okay, and. I don't, it just didn't appeal to me. Hearing you, hearing you say that, and this could be, this is a baby take, so I don't know. I, I need to fully flesh it out. So if anyone listening, you can come for me, but be gentle. Uh, I'm feeling like his literal work and the fact that people call him out on it, and mm-hmm. like you're saying, there's there could be more nuance or even in the way you you paint. Uh, and sort of render these figures, I feel like, I almost feel like that could be uh, the Costa's take on the original Candyman. It's too mm. literal. Mm. It's too limited. It needs to be a little more subtle. Mm-hmm. Like there could be something a lot more, you know, you could change the style, but the intention has to be a little broader. And she does that, you know, because there's moments where... It's real, like real simple things happening. Like when his girlfriend, I can't remember her name in the movie, but she goes to the laundromat mm-hmm. and she goes into the office and it's people in the laundromat, right? Like this is day, broad daylight. Oh yeah. She goes in there and that door, when that door like slowly kind of like closes oh. and then locks, I mean, we're at, that to me, that to me is scary. <laughs> it's scary. It, that's that's I mean it's it's so good it's scary and foreboding because we know some not something is not right because you expect sure you the boogeyman comes out at night or whatever right but you know I think the way that Acosta handled the character worked a lot better <laughs> a lot mm-hmm. better and I never saw the so you have you know Candyman then you have Return Return of the Flesh Return to yeah. the Flesh. And then there's yeah. another another one, and then we have DaCostas. So I haven't seen those other two in between. Isn't like one of he's in New Orleans or something? You you I wouldn't recommend them. Um, it the first Candyman kind of sets up. I feel like everything you need to know about the the lore, and it does mm. not really get expanded. It's just mm. new people get terrorized. Mm. And it is almost, I think, a detraction. 
from mm-hmm. what the story could be. I, I feel like the sort of the re-entry of, of Candyman, you know, accepting the, the, the mythos and making it something new is what that, that uh, franchise needed. Or that, I guess, that that IP. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know. He 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 feels like an anti-hero now. I don't know if you could always claim that that he was prior. No, I don't. I don't think he was. I think he was an angry spirit in the first set of movies. Mm. He was definitely an angry spirit, angry ass ancestor. Um, but now he's like a spirit working in our favor and on our in the favor of his community on behalf of his community. Mm-hmm. Um, so, or, and even like the, even like the, um, you know, I remember Coleman Domingo's character saying Candyman is just not, you know, it's just one part. Like it's a, it's a hive. It's, you know, so even taking, you know, DaCosta's taking like this, the, actual like structure of bees and how they live and how they work and using that to inform you know what she's doing um but yeah he's 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 an anti-hero now i think he would be the preferred anti-hero i i would say if i was to match him against killmonger which what a weird (laughs) fantasy football team Well, it's gonna get weirder because I feel like if people gonna be mad, we, if, uh, I feel like certain certain nerd culture people will be mad if we were to say that Kang the Conqueror is a part of this black antihero team because uh, it it's just like all the Spider Man discourse the past few years before you know Spider Verse came out. You know, Spider Man's not black. And all these other things. Oh, Lord. Yeah. They I mean the they... same thing that happened with uh when um Samuel Jackson took on like a Nick Fury. Nick Fury. No, um, I now I can't imagine anyone else being Nick Fury. He's like right? he's I mean, mind you, he is kinda like in some ways playing himself as he was playing Shaft. Mm. But still I <laughs> like it's Samuel Jackson. I love him. Um so it works, but Kang, Kang the Conqueror, traditionally in the comic books, is a white man. Yes, for Uh-oh. the most part, yes. <laughs> so there, it's it's hard because there are, I think, at certain times there have been interpretations where you see like, okay, there's, it's so wrapped up because we remember we talked about I think a little a bit of sort of like Loki and all these mm-hmm. different. TVA, there's all these iterations. There exists an endless number of, you know, potential use uh, out there. There are variants of Kang that are black um, mm-hmm. that exist. There may not mm-hmm. be many. There might be, it might be different, right? And then there's also the fact that an interpretation of Kang, the idea that he remains white, being from the 31st century, mm-hmm. is a laughable. I don't think <laughs> there's anything short of a somewhat beige Kang. Kang is most likely like mixed in some way. So having mm-hmm. Jonathan Majors play him, I think, is is fitting both because his performance as an actor. I don't think there's anything where he's been a villain. 
yet really outside of the creed movie that's coming out mm-hmm. um nothing that i could see he's played these sort of very like heroic yeah le- leaning man sort of characters um he got 81 million muscles um but really this this character most of the time we see kang in the comics he has this blue mask on. He he's he is more so. It's not his race. It's his time that defines him. Mm. It's his sort of philosophy. He is so. <laughs> he's so similar to his ancestors, um, of which is Reed Richards. Mm. He's he is Nathaniel Richards of the thirty first century. He is this lineage of. Oh, I can solve all the problems. I can be a hero. I can, I can uh, be the solution. Mm-hmm. And his initial sort of introduction, as far as costuming goes, and this is another reason why I think he's black, for sure. Concrete, uh, case closed. Is his first costume? He he goes back. He travels back to like ancient Egypt and is this sort of pharaoh in costuming, and he attempts to go through the very beginning of sort of time to whatever degree, right? And produce this strong team, this leading force that will, you know, I'll fix all these things in history. And the Avengers go, what the hell is going on in ancient Egypt? And they go back and they beat him up. And then he decides I'm done being a hero because he he thinks he's right the whole time. And so he becomes this Kang the Conqueror. He will conquer all of time and space. So he's a narcissist. He is. He's a narcissist who thinks he's doing the right thing. He, I think for anyone who watched, you know, the first season of Loki, he's all over that. And there's versions of Kang. um, Spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the first season of Loki, um, which has been a minute. I know. uh, It's been out for like two years, maybe. At this point, yeah. I think Um, it's been two years. There's a version of, of him that exists uh, at the end of time, and he is canonically a good guy. Like, he, at least in the sense that he is not um, someone for malice. He is kind of this bureaucratic figure who, you know, I'm the best version you get of this guy. Hmm. Like... I am not trying to hurt anybody. I'm creating order. It's just my way or the highway. That there... sounds like tyranny. <laughs> yeah, it's it, <laughs> a lot of these characters, if they're not just straight up killing people all the time, they're tyrannical. And and Kang, the only version of him that ever comes to become, like I think, a true, you know, leaves the anti-hero, right? Mm-hmm. Leaves behind the villain uh sort of core that he seems to have um there's this younger version of him that's brought into the future by an older version of <laughs> old king takes young king to the future to be like hey look at the avengers trying to fight us you, you gotta start getting ready to hate him now so you'll be stronger <laughs> and young king sees this and goes these guys look cool why are we fighting them and he decides to become a replacement for iron man he becomes like an iron lad it's this weird you know i'll steal a mantle i'll become a hero and all these people look at him like ain't this the nigga that we fighting in the future <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and he inevitably like it it means he has to go back and accept that there is a part of him that's just like it's narcissistic it's power hungry him being at the end of time i think is interesting because it kind of i mean definitely there's some god complex there um but it also set you could also oh it's like it's it's at the corner of my mind it's at the corner of my mind let me i'm gonna walk it up um (laughs) it him being at the end of time you know it seems as if like i could see (laughs) see him being like i did all those terrible things so that you all would be better and then look look how great you are (laughs) Look how great and you look are. How great you look how are. great you turned out. Like all these things needed to happen because the other way it would have um not been good, which sounds very similar to little baby from Frank Herbert's book. Um oh. uh uh Paul and his son Leto the second. Leto the second, though, is the one who makes the decision to save mankind by becoming a giant sandworm, though. Spoiler for the fourth book. Y'all not going to make it through all the book. I told, <laughs> I told my, I, I finally finished it. I finally finished it. Um, I told my friend that I spent all of 2022 reading Frank Herbert books. She was, she was like, I almost choked on my food when you said that. She was like, that's a lot of pages. It's a lot of books, <laughs> a lot of pages. I was like, yeah, and it was hard, but I did it. <laughs> Uh, but all that to say, right, that this is this is another thing. People, the so someone at the end of time, and it makes me wonder too if, about Herbert's influence on that. Because this is, you know, this Marvel superhero stuff has a science fiction element to it, especially when we start talking about time and the time mm. variance authority (TVA), right? Time variance yeah. authority, and how they are shaping, you know. They're shaping a very particular timeline, right? Like they're basically, I guess, I guess you could say time Gestapo, time Nazis, maybe. Absolutely, time um, Nazis, time cops. Time, yeah, all of that. They're, you know, because they're having to shape everything to what Kang's will is. Because if time breaks apart, um, that would just cause chaos, and universes would bleed into each other, and you'd have what is it? Um, what did they call it? This when what's oh. her face popped in and and mom, um, this like nexus. Um, it's a nexus event, but it was like a concurrence, incurrence, incongruence, incongruences from geometry. Um, <laughs> like what is the word? You're right. They like picked a very specific term. Yes. But no, you're right. This this branching off so that it's not uh, the sacred timeline. It's it's this true multiverse of, mm-hmm. of, of options and and different paths um, which we you know alter time anytime we you know make decisions and and do things which that's that's another podcast <laughs> oh. talking about time i love i love when people are on the internet saying weird stuff about time i love it it's it's one of my fa- it's one of my favorite genres of weird internet videos um but you know, he seems to be, there's just something kind of omniscient, I guess, too, about mm. Kang in that he, because of his intelligence, he's able to understand time in a different way. And so he's like, I need to be this way 
in order for all of this to survive or to make it or, you know, what have you. Um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, why not let things be? I don't, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's I agree weird. with him. It's, it's, it's weird just because I feel like even half the reason for him controlling it, the way it's laid out to us. Right. And I think even within the comics too, it's sort of the same same idea. He is fighting with himself. Mm-hmm. He is keeping a war of kings. He can't even agree with himself. <laughs> Every single version of him wants to be the only person in charge. That's a problem. It like seeing someone's sort of it's it's not just ego death. He wants other timeline dev he wants to be the one true king and other people get caught up in that i think it's that's the part that makes it even messier is it's not just this um unified under his sort of his tyranny it's all right now i'll be fighting against the other one Mm. it's it's worlds against worlds it's universes collapsing into each other i so when you mentioned that he went back to ancient egypt I immediately mm-hmm. thought about Apocalypse. And I was like, was he hanging out with Apocalypse? He was trying to, I think, sort of... I, I'm trying to remember if he was attempting to harness that period of time because there were strong mutants available or that it was the sort of the the birthplace of this... Um, uh, strange power, right? Him being mm-hmm. from the 31st, he essentially is privy to all this information, knowing mm-hmm. that the technology he has is superior. He knows who all the heroes, to whatever degree, you know, what they do, what their function is. If he, he is both inventor and historian. And he goes back thinking like, oh, well, I'm future. So I, I can, I can ball out on anyone who wants to fight me. Um, I could be misremembering, but I feel like even some of what's left of like the like the Sphinx and all that stuff. I think he he put that there. <laughs> so, supposedly, like Bell there's all these knows. things. Yeah, like he's the reason things are broken or changed, or you know, he is, and he's impossible to fight. I think in the same way that anyone who is a fan of sort of DC comics will, will recall there is this reverse Flash character who. Mm. You can't win against him because you beat him once, or even if you kill him one time. Like, and undoubtedly, there's some point where he he reads about it in the past or the future, and he's like, "Oh, I died on this time. I'm not gonna go there." <laughs> there's no he he uses time, I think, to sort of project his knowledge of everything onto people, and so apocalypse he tries to use avengers he tries to use Mm x-men he pins people against each other um and And look they become better because he did it that's that's (laughs) it's such a strange justification it's like every time he he wins it's their fault and every time they win it's because he did something right (laughs) it's like Uh, look i win i win either way um, I'm very curious about this um, Ant-Man in the Quantum in Quantum Mania, uh, Ant-Man in the Wasp Quantum Mania, 
Um, Because we keep getting that clip that says, it's Paul Rudd saying, I don't have to win. We both just have to lose. Um, And I don't Mm. know if Kang is someone that actually loses. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't think that's going to (laughs) work. Especially knowing that there's there's a movie with his name coming soon. I don't really think he does. (laughs) I don't think he loses. I really don't. Um, Something that I think maybe we were like circling a back back to um but there's a historical component i think about making the villain black and i don't know when yeah. we were talking about this i don't know why i thought of that raggedy ass movie by dw griffin oh. um birth of a nation and how i mean that of course is klu klux klan propaganda it's still being taught in schools um, as this kind of innovation in, um, so I feel like birth of a nation, it has so many like technical firsts and within film history and it's shown and it's, there's this asterisk of, but it's also bad. Okay. Moving on. And (laughs) it can't be be talked that way anymore. Like that's not sufficient to, yeah. You know, it, it, it's one thing to say, you know, it's groundbreaking in, in one sense, but, you know, because we look at, I think, some some educators will look at, like, Russian propaganda mm-hmm. through such a critical eye and be like, well, you know, it's horrible, but here's what it's doing and how we're aware it's propaganda. Mm-hmm. isn't... It's not taught <laughs> as propaganda. It's not. It's just taught as there's this thing, also the Klan and blackface. And that's not great, right? That sucks. Let's look at the next movie. Easy Rider. Yeah. <laughs> what? There's the no, there's no, I think, there's no nuance of board to treat it as what it is. It's it's propaganda. It's fiction made to motivate a population. Mm-hmm. I, I brought it up because I think about... I mean, I don't know what the first moving picture ever made was. I think it was a trip to the moon or something like that. Um, but the first moving picture in which a black man, a black person is cast mm-hmm. as the villain, is, I, I think canonically will it goes to Birth of a Nation. And I bring that up because, first of all, there were no black people actually in a Birth of a Nation, correct? Mm-hmm. It was everybody was just in blackface. Yes. And so I, I guess it's interesting to think about that history of that film and how it was meant to portray Black people as, as immoral and scary and all this, uh, all this other like negative uh, propaganda. But then here we are in 2023 um, thinking about these Black characters who are we're calling anti-heroes. And so I'm just really curious about, I guess, the lineage Mm. of depicting Black people on screen as villains or as heroes. We have way more nuance, of course, since (laughs) since (laughs) Griffin came out with, with, you know, whatever the hell he was doing. Um, But another, another one that may be a little bit less controversial. I don't know. Did you ever see the Emperor Jones? No. Y'all, did y'all not watch? You took the Harlem Renaissance class, right? No, I didn't. I couldn't. Uh, it didn't. It completed yeah. my schedule. 
I missed it and I was so hyped for it. Oh my god. That was such a it's such a good class. Um it's from 1933. The Emperor Jones. It, It was a play. It stars Paul Robeson. And it's actually on HBO Max. So you could watch it. Um, A black congregation prays for the wily and ambitious Brutus Jones. First of all, why is his name Brutus? Um, Mm -hmm. Who is off to work on the railway. Jones is conscripted to a chain gang after killing a fellow gambler and escapes by clubbing a guard. On the run, he gets a job shoveling coal on a ship in the Caribbean and jumps off when they pass an island. When he is captured by the natives, his freedom is bought by a white trader. Jones tricks the tribe and becomes emperor, but is outrun by his own magic. So it's it's like this very. I I think that that maybe would be a better start, maybe a better starting point. Um, the director is Dudley Murphy. Who is Dudley Murphy? Is this a white person? It is a white person. I wonder if he's related to Eddie Murphy. Huh. <laughs> like an- ancestrally speaking. Please don't. don't do <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also trying to think who wrote The Emperor Jones because it was a play. Hmm. Eugene O'Neill. Eugene O'Neill is an, it looks like another white person. Um, but there was a play it was really meant to talk about. Um, the island, you know, it says an island. The island is is meant to be Haiti, um, and Emperor Jones is, I guess, supposed to be like a Dessaline or a Toussaint character. Um, but I think I think that particular lineage is maybe more interesting to compare to what we're talking about today mm. versus going all the way back to D.W. Griffith. Um, even though I was the person who introduced it <laughs> to the mix well, of no, the it, conversation. It's fair, right? Because, like, the idea of, of being a villain, being an other mm-hmm. in some regard, and then kind of being the the instigator in, mm-hmm. in all of this, right? Or if not the instigator, the antagonist who kind of drops the foot and causes the plot to move forward. Um, I think Griffith provides a caricature that's inaccurate to blackness mm-hmm. but manages to be um the aggressor mm-hmm. and then in in what you're presenting the the more i think authentic kind of origin of an on-screen kind of trickster or villain mm-hmm. we get something that's more it, it brings i think more of an actual person to to the screen when you said trickster, I I really think about like the anti-hero as a trickster and what is the mm-hmm. role of a trickster in mythology or any kind of lore that they are there to teach us something, right? Like they're not there to do little crimes. Who, who, who used to say that? That was a video, do little crimes and stuff. I feel like someone used to say that, <laughs> you know, do little crimes and stuff. Um, do a little crime. Or was that on... Um, no, that was on P Valley. Uh, <laughs> that's what it's from. I was like, that sounded so familiar. Like you, you do like little murders and stuff um, versus big ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, but I say that like in that, you know, these characters that we're talking about today, the Candyman, 
Kang the Conqueror, Eric Killmonger, you know, Killmonger definitely served a, pur- a purpose as to get to motivate Wakanda to address its politics for mm-hmm. sure. If we're looking at the DaCosta Candyman, he served a purpose in to protect his community. And if we're looking at Kang, Kang, I mean, you could say he's trying to protect all of man, all of human existence or universal existence, not just human beings. Um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like they, they fit to me more like a trickster would than they do like a like devil or evil mm-hmm. villainous kind of thing. I don't know. There's something to be learned from the sort of misguided nature of of their of their actions. There, it's not a it's not a true evil. It's like oh, it's you should have done this different. Yeah, <laughs> like there there should have been a like there should have been other options or I don't know. Like um, I don't. Know. It's a wild it's a wild thought that I just caught and just tossed and t- tossed it to the ring of, of the, of the, of the podcast. Cause I also, but I also think about like how, you know, the trickster in, um, what's it called in and is, is a Yoruba. I think it's the Yoruba culture issue. Mm. Like, how some people will immediately because of the uh, Western education will read that as the devil. The trickster is often read as evil, the devil, you know, it's not read as a character that could potentially bring balance or teach a lesson in the process of you, you know, falling on your butt a couple of times. Um, And so I think that what we see happening in cinema now, where we have more of these antiheroes, and mind you, we saw it, I guess you could say we saw it more with white characters, with or at least they credit it to white characters, like yeah. um Tony, I was about to say Tony Mantana, Tony uh, Soprano. <laughs> um, which is Tony Soprano an anti-hero, or is it just that we knew too much about his personal life and we actually liked him because we knew his I, personal life? I, I think it's that we saw him being afforded the chance to reflect on his actions and we mm. saw too much of his perspective. Mm-hmm. You you see Tony Soprano from the outside and in news headlines. That's a mafia man. Exactly. <laughs> that is a criminal. Exactly. Only person I had empathy for was Bobby. Because Bobby. Bobby was the one he liked those. Like he died so tragically. He was buying a toy train set and they shot him. I'm like, oh, my God. Bobby was the nice one. But mind you, he was in the mafia. Um, that's why I don't join the mafia. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> As if that were even an option. <laughs> Listen, I'm glad it's not an option. <laughs> LinkedIn be having all these. You know, do you get do you get people who want to add you on LinkedIn that you have no idea who these who these people are? Yeah. Do you add them? I don't add them. If it I've depends. never met you, if I don't. Have, I don't add you. If they have funny photos, I do. Like if they have really good like oh you went to jc penny okay you, you stunting i like your tie color 
But are, I guess people are people treating LinkedIn like Facebook now? It's like Facebook for corporate people. I've seen some people treat it like Twitter. So I don't oh, know. no. See, that's why uh, I don't even really be on there like that. But yeah. we digress. <laughs> the real villains are the people who be be acting up on LinkedIn. That's the real villains out there. It's like, that's like, why? But I don't know. What do you what do you think? So I I'm I'm proposing, you know, that this kind of anti-hero as a trickster um instead of saying anti-hero. Mm-hmm. To me I think I don't know. I don't like anti anti anything. Anti anti. <laughs> I I don't want to just say oh, I agree, but I do agree. Um I mean, you you know me. I I feel like the even a lot of the work I was doing, you know, a year, almost, you know, two years ago, at least starting, right, thinking about folklore and archetypes, I think mm-hmm. the the trickster is certainly more fitting to this, uh, the faultiness of ego and having mm-hmm. to learn from your mistakes or, you know, in the process, I think the audience or viewer can learn from them. Killmonger opts to die rather than learn. <laughs> 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 he, he says no and and dies the candy man is this figure that like it, it it feels sort of so often the people who die in the DaCosta version refuse to learn or respect the the myth they they kind of it's their own not to say, you know, it's their fault. They, they failed did. They failed the test. They failed the test. Like, there's no reason. One person who doesn't fail the test in that movie, um, there's a scene in the high school when these girls mm-hmm. are in the mirror. And for the most part, right, it's like this group of white girls and, and this one Asian girl and there's a black girl in the, in the stall. She's uninvolved, the, the, the black mm-hmm. girl. But the Asian girl... They get through two candy mans and she says, nope, no, nope. Mm-hmm. No. And leaves. <laughs> and leaves. And you can't tell me that that's not sort of a similar kind of vein as the get out one Asian man being present during this. <laughs> like, I understand the conversation of race is going to be complicated and it's not always, I think. I think it doesn't bring in the full grasp of what it means to be a minority mm-hmm. in the face of uh, maybe whiteness. But I feel like that movie definitely comments on a certain amount of some people are not passing the test mm-hmm. on respecting the boundaries uh, that communities have in place. I, that that is a really that's a really good point. I think that's a really good point. Instead of learning the lesson people they choose death instead and that definitely can be applied to a lot of things that happen in real like in real life right like there's mm-hmm. you know we we um i often i i drive a lot for work and so i'm often either listening to podcasts or listening to music but i'm not like the music is playing but my thoughts are just roaming mm-hmm. and i i often think about like how committed people are to discrimination to racism all these things when they really like they they act as if it is fixed and you really can change if you want to but people don't want to do the work to change to be self-reflective um 
in the case of of Wakanda with you know Killmonger coming in and being this kind of catalyst for them to get their politics in line they still second movie they still they still hadn't got still, they still hadn't really figured out how to navigate a global stage um right cuz they have not had to deal with colonialism they have not had to deal with um empire in the way that there's neighbors in Africa have um so third third black panther movie i'm very curious to see how their politics will shift um you know like what's going to happen for them have you know we have the new catalyst now um is is Huerta, uh Huerta's character namor how are they going to navigate that relationship, right? Because he, again, not to say that Taylor Khan is just simply here to serve as an instrument for Wakanda to get it together. But if they want to continue to prosper as a nation, they're going to have to figure some stuff out. Um, as for Candyman, I mean, I, I really feel like that first movie was really just kind of drawing in that tradition of, scary black spiritual stuff mm-hmm. that we don't understand and let's just make it scary and then he's killing his own people uh, but the costa i think really did a good job of reworking that in a way that made more sense that aligns more with how i think audiences particularly black audiences today are thinking about um spirituality in in that way um and so that we do, we do get to learn, or you know, the people, uh, some people learn, and some people, as you said, they they chose they choose death <laughs> instead of learning to choose death instead of learning. That is wild, absolutely wild concept. I even think that could extend to probably what will be unfolding with this Kang character as we he's mm-hmm. sort of our, our newer entry into. Uh, black tricksters and, and, and on a larger uh, scale mm-hmm. instead of learning he chooses to have you know only person that kill me is me <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not any different right it's it's this it's this desire to just be unchanged and what a fool <laughs> <laughs> But you can't say any of these these people aren't powerful, which makes it, I think, that's where the tension in the story really comes out of, right? It's, mm-hmm. you know, to be a trickster and to, to really see how far, how, how, how long does the trick keep getting played? How long do the people have to kind of be, be tormented before the trickster flops and fails? Time is a flat circle. You can tie, lay that over that Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. Mm-hmm. That time is a, you either going to learn or you're not. You can either just go in a circle or you can be a spiral. Which one? Oh my goodness. Any final thoughts? Um, Paul Rudd, you better watch it. God, my shout out to Paul Rudd's broken back. (laughs) 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 Oh, there's so many people are going to be upset. That's their favorite uh, MCU white man right now. All the other ones are gone. They love him. 
They really, really love him. Every, people really, really, really like Paul Rudd. They're like, he's just he's such charming. a nice. He's just such a nice guy. And then I, he's I guess conventionally attractive. I don't know. I he looks just, the same for he just like looks like a dude. Years. I think that's the thing. He he's been aging gracefully while maintaining like visibility. Mm-hmm. He I guess he'd be wearing his sunscreen or getting a little Botox. One of the two. I don't think he'd be seeing the sun because he pale. So sunscreen, sunblock. He'd be, he'd be wearing the, the Ant Man costume offset. <laughs> you all do know that sunscreen is an anti aging thing. That is your tip for the day. Mm-hmm. Shout out to sunscreen for the one time. <laughs> I'm like, do I have any final thoughts? I, I mean. I think this is an interesting thought experiment to think about these characters as anti these anti-hero characters um and and blackness and how you know what is the history of of black villainy villainy mm. and I really think you're a villain depending on the perspective of who's telling the story you know um cuz yeah you're <laughs> It really just depends on who's whose whose perspective we're looking through. But you it sound like you thought of something else. No, I just feel like that's a statement that just rings true. And that's I think it's real life too. You're a villain depending on who's telling the story. Mm-hmm. A just lot like, of, a lot of times. Just like how I love how people on the internet are like, I'm in my villain era. This is my you said it earlier, this is my villain origin story, but <laughs> Keep me broken, you know, um, all of that kind of stuff. I think people are just kind of more interested in imperfect people versus mm-hmm. heroes who are, I mean, they're not perfect either, but there's, I think we just like the dark side more, mm-hmm. the shadow. Um, there's more, there's more to unpack in the shadow, I think than in the light i don't know do with that what you will dear listeners do with that what you will and with that we want to thank you all for listening today please make sure that you follow us on social media we are on tiktok as where i see me podcast we are on instagram we are also on Ooh, what else are we on we're on twitter please also, don't, you know, you're following us. We thank you. Please engage with us on some of the posts so that you can stay up to date on what we're doing. Because um, I'm sure at the time of this recording, we've just come off of our special event that we did Ooh. with the Houston Public Library. So I hope that you all really enjoyed that. Um, but yes, please follow us. Um Continue to rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. It definitely helps us. Uh, we appreciate hearing from you all. And I'm turning it over to Marcellus. Um, I want to uh, thank Playdate, our friends of the podcast, fellow enjoyers of all things uh, trickstery, fun and cool, and sci-fi related. Um, and their song, Why Don't We Talk About It? Blessing our ears as we go off into uh, our our final moments. Um, I have been Marcellus. 
And I have been Jamie. Stay nerdy. And stay black. Sensation. Why?